Hello and welcome to part 2 in a series of videos that I'm putting out where I break down all the fights taking place this weekend at UFC 240 from a betting perspective. Now I've already covered 3 fights on this card including the main event between Frank Yeager and Max Holloway so check out part 1 in this series of videos I'll leave a link to it in the description below to see how I feel about the main event and a couple more fights. Now in today's video I'll be busting through another 3 fights but before I do that I want to say a big 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 thank you to everyone that liked part one of this series of videos everyone that left a comment i read every single one of your comments good or bad and i try and respond to everyone so thank you for taking time out of your day to watch the video and also like the video and also leave a comment it helps the channel grow a lot it really, really, really means a lot. And speaking of comments, also want to say a big thank you to everyone that left positive comments, messages about my dad wishing him well, that kind of thing. A uh, little bit of an update, a crazy turn of events. He was supposed to go in for surgery yesterday. He was supposed to be having an ankle replacement surgery. But, you know, in the UK, we've got free healthcare and everyone talks about free healthcare, the NHS has been an amazing thing, but unfortunately, in life you do get what you pay for, and the NHS is a little bit dysfunctional, so basically, my dad, when he was in his early 20s, he broke his ankle playing football, now, back when he was in his 20s, medical care wasn't the best, it was like 50, 55 years ago, he's in his 70s now, so when they repaired his ankle, they didn't quite repair it correctly, so he's kind of always walked with one of his like feet sticking out at a weird angle. Now, you wouldn't know it unless he actually told you about it, because it's not that obvious, not that noticeable. But basically, if you look at someone and like their, their, their like legs normally would walk like this, like say their feet were like this, well, the foot that my dad broke when he played football in his 20s kind of sticks out like this so he's kind of been walking his whole life you know like this with one foot sticking out at a weird angle now it never caused him any problems but over time you know walking at that angle means he's now damaged like the joints and the tendons and the ligaments and everything in his ankle and now it's starting to cause him pain like basically every single day for the past couple of years so for the last year he was on a waiting list to have this ankle replacement and he went to see like the orthopedic consultant surgeon like four times in the last year, you know, once every three months. Finally, he got a date for the surgery, which was yesterday. So we took him in 7 a.m. in the morning. You know, he had his overnight bag, all that kind of stuff. Got into hospital. They checked him into the ward, put his gown on, checked his blood pressure, the anesthetist came and talked to him, you know what I mean, he is on the bed, ready to go, ready for this surgery, and then the consultant surgeon that is performing the surgery, in his gown, also, like, in, in his whole chisel, ready to do the surgery, comes in for, like, the final check to speak to my dad, and basically told, uh, told my dad that he didn't think it was a good idea he had the surgery, because my dad can still walk, He's just in, you know, pain every day with his ankle. And because it's like such a big operation, he thinks there's a chance that my dad might actually end up worse off with the surgery because they would have to like fuse some parts of the ankle together. So he'd lose a bit of mobility. So it's kind of crazy. Like my dad's been building himself up, stressing about it. You know what I mean? We've all been stressing about it. He went in to have this big surgery yesterday. 
And then, you know, after being on a waiting list for a year, after seeing this consultant four times, the same guy, right in the final minute before you are supposed to go and have this surgery, told my dad, well, actually, I don't think you should have it, when he was the one that recommended it. So, big thank you to everyone that, you know, uh, left a kind comment saying, you know, good luck to my dad and... You're thinking of my dad, all that stuff, it meant a lot. I really, really do appreciate it. But he didn't end up having the surgery. Uh, he's probably not going to have the surgery now. He's just still got to keep going back every three months, see this consultant, see how things develop. Um, but, you know, what can you do? I suppose it sucks that he's going to be living in pain with his ankle, but at the same time, he can still walk and get about. Like, he's quite fit and strong for a 70 year old guy in his 70s. And I suppose it's better than him ending up you know, in a wheelchair or, or on a, like having a permanent walking stick or something if if the surgery didn't go good. So, you know, it is what it is. You don't want to hear about that. You don't want to hear about that. But I just want to give you guys an update because obviously I was saying over the next few weeks or months I'd have to spend a lot of time caring for my dad, helping him out. And now I won't have to. So I will be able to bring you these videos as usual. So you can expect four videos this week, four videos next week, etc., etc. Um, yeah shouldn't have uh, any impact on the channel at all so i have noticed over the last few months since i set the channel up like three or four months ago that there's kind of two different crowds that we have uh, that watch these youtube videos right i find that in the part one videos where i talk about the main event and like the big fight that everyone cares about on a card i find that that video does generate a lot more assholes but it also attracts a lot of people that don't necessarily take gambling that seriously so they're only there to kind of learn how i feel about a fight try and learn a bit more about the fight and 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 they just want to have fun they, they, they don't take gambling that serious they don't know that much about mma kind of casual fans i suppose you know the the part one video that i put out that covers the main event always gets the most views it always does and i definitely noticed that in the parts two three and four of the videos that i put out the people that view those videos and leave comments are just way cooler. It's like the trolls come and they say what they got to say in part one. And then in parts two, three, and four, it's kind of like the serious dudes are left who understand probabilities. They care about gambling. They want to make money. They're open-minded. And they're really, really deep into MMA. Like, so basically, if you're watching this video, what I'm trying to say is you're the real deal. And you take this very seriously. You're a smart dude. You understand how probabilities work. You understand anything can happen in MMA. You're very open-minded. You're here to make money. Uh, you're here to like share ideas and bounce ideas around in the comments. So that's pretty cool because I feel like... When we've got the part one video, I can just focus on the big fight. You know, give the casual fans what they want, break the main event down. And then I can kind of use parts two, three, and four of these videos to go into some deeper topics. That, I know that was a really long-winded long way of getting to that point. But the point I'm trying to make is I don't like to go into deep gambling-related topics in the part one videos because most people watching those videos won't care and it will irritate them because the videos will end up being longer than they need to be. But I do want to make this channel uh, like a platform where I can kind of share my knowledge because over the years, like... Over the last 10 years, I've made loads of mistakes and learned from them. I've experimented with loads of different styles and strategies. 
and and taken the positives and negatives from them and kind of built my own way of doing things so i want to like pass all that knowledge on to you uh, so I guess there's never ever going to be like a formal structure to it. But I guess what I look out for is if ever, if ever there's like a specific fight or a specific bet or a situation crop up where I can kind of like use that specific example to explain uh, a certain aspect of betting which I think you might find useful, then then I'll take it. And this event is 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 a good, perhaps a good platform a good opportunity for me to talk about something that I haven't really uh, mentioned on the channel before. I talk about skim about skim over a lot of this stuff in the live streams. Don't actually talk about uh, what I'm going to talk about in in uh, in a moment in the video. Let's just let's just I'll I'll quit rabbiting. I'll get into it. So I haven't had much sleep. Right. So we've got a small bet on Frankie Edgar this Saturday night to beat Max Holloway. But if we're all being very realistic very likely that bet loses like none of us are going into the fight on saturday night expecting frankie to win none of us are you know thinking he's going to win if he wins it's a bonus it's a good value bet but we're expecting him to lose let's be real so because of that it's more likely this saturday night that i will make a loss which isn't good because my entire betting philosophy all centers around keeping things tight Banking solid profits and using compound interest to grow my money over time. So to kind of explain to you in the very, 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 very simplest of forms how this how this basically works is, and this is a very literal example. Obviously, you, you do not manage a bankroll like this. You don't bet everything you have. But in the simplest of terms, if you have $100 and you bet $100 on Saturday night, and you win a hundred dollars profit. You started with a hundred dollars. You now have two hundred dollars. So the theory of compound interest involves constantly reinvesting your profits, so that over time, your your profits, the money you can make, basically snowball an avalanche. So the at first you start off with a hundred dollars. You bet a hundred dollars. You win a hundred back. You've got two hundred dollars. The next week then then means you've got two hundred dollars to bet with. So if you're then able to turn that $200 and make the same profit margin, the same profitability return as you did the first week and get another $200 back, you've now got $400. So you've four extra money in two weeks. Now, the next week, you've now got $400 to play with. So say again, you get the same profit, the same profit profitability percentage return, and you bet $400, you get $400 back. It's exactly the same. It's a 100% gain. You've now got $800. And you've 8x'd your money in three weeks. And the, the money just compounds and grows and grows and grows. And the longer... It, it, it's, like a, it's like a multiplier on a video game. The longer you can keep the, the, these winning streaks going, the longer you can keep the win streak going, the faster your money will snowball and avalanche. And that's why I do believe that ROI, return on interest, is a pointless stat. Win rate is the stat you should focus on because everyone should be using compound interest to grow their money. And ROI doesn't tell the whole story. So you could have a huge ROI with a terrible win rate. And if you've got a terrible win rate, you won't be able to effectively grow your money using compound interest. So compound interest is very, very powerful and a high win rate is what you want to aim for. 
So the issue with a bet like Frankie Edgar, the weakness, the downside to a bet on Frankie Edgar is that not only is it likely you will take a small loss on Saturday if Max Holloway beats him, but there's also an opportunity cost to that because it slows down your compounded growth. And if he loses, you have to make that money back again just to get back to break even before you can start moving into profit again. That's that's the, the downside of, of compound interest and why you need a high win rate. So I guess what I'm trying to say is for every single event, I've got a strategy to make a profit or end up roughly a break even. Now that might sound like that might be like the, the dumbest thing you've ever heard because obviously we're all always trying to make money, right? No one's ever going to want to take a loss. Like who would want to take a loss? But for me, I always try and structure my bets and my stakes in a way that it makes it more unlikely I will take a loss. If I'm going to take a loss, it'll be quite close to break even, which means it won't have that much impact on my ability to compound my profits. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, at the moment, I've got a small bet on Frankie that I expect to lose, and there's an opportunity cost to that because it's going to affect my compounded interest growth. You know, We started July very, very strong with a big winner on Bellator, big winner on Jermaine Durandome. You took a small loss on Steven Peterson last weekend, might take a small loss on Edgar this weekend, and then the, the compound interest growth starts to slow down, starts to eat into our profits from the beginning of the month. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, I really, really want to find another bet for this event, because the way I usually structure bets, or my bets for an event, is that I structure them in a way which makes it hard for me to actually lose. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm looking for an insurance bet, a cover bet this weekend. Because say we take a one unit loss on Edgar, it would be nice to have a rock solid bet to cover that one unit loss. So that if Edgar does lose, we float around break even or we might make a small profit. So I am hunting hard for a what I like to call a cover bet or an insurance bet on this event. Now obviously I'm not going to force a bet and place a bad bet and put my money in a marginal situation, but I am digging very very deep for another bet on this card just simply because I want to cover a potential loss on Edgar so it doesn't slow down my compounded growth. You will often find on my pre-fight bets I I I either I very rarely take a hard loss. I will usually either uh, make a, a decent profit, a small profit, or float around break even. I'll very rarely take a big loss just because the way I structure bets, I like to cover potential losses because obviously it is the riskier bets which tend to lose more often than not. So when you do have riskier bets, it's always nice to throw a cover bet out there. But so far, haven't really found too much I like, but there's some stuff for us to talk about in this video. Obviously, it's still only Thursday. Uh, the odds could move a lot between now and the time of the fight. So, you never know what might happen. Uh, I've still got like four fights to research as well. So, maybe I will find us something. But, you know, enough of that. Just wanted to just kind of share my feelings on this card with you guys. Uh, to let you know how I'm feeling. How I tend to structure bets on a card. Um, and yeah, you know, if I can avoid taking a loss, I will. So definitely looking for a cover bet to cover a, a potential loss on Frankie. But now, enough of that. Let us talk about the first fight that I want to go into in today's video, which is going to be Armin Tazrukian 
against Olivier Orban Mercier. Now, there is absolutely no doubt about it that Armand Tazrukian is absolutely incredible. He looked great in his UFC debut against Islam Makhachev. And he is a very, very decent, decent fighter. He's very good everywhere. He's got technical striking, uh, you know, reasonably strong wrestler, high-level ground game, very, very active in the scramble. And the scary thing is that he's only 22 years old. So for him to already be this good at 22 year old, two years old is quite frightening. Definitely a potential future champion in Taz Rukian. Uh, he is absolutely amazing. And obviously at this age, he is going to be making huge improvements from fight to fight because you're an absolute sponge uh, when you're in your early 20s. Still training, still learning. This guy's going to be a nightmare. And obviously his, his training situation has been great as well because throughout his career, he's been training at Tiger Muay Thai, which is one of the best MMA gyms in the world despite being called Tiger Muay Thai. It's actually an excellent MMA gym as well. And what's interesting is that, you know, there aren't many better MMA gyms in the world than Tiger Muay Thai. But Taz Rukin's actually moved to an even better gym. And he is now training at American Top Team with some of the best fighters in the world. ATT is, pro is it is, let's be real, ATT is the best MMA gym in the world. And... The fact that Taz Rukian is now training there when he's already amazing everywhere is is just pretty 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 scary to be honest. It's a scary prospect. You know, Taz Rukian's already incredible. The fact that he's now going to ATT to train with some of the best fighters in the world every day means this guy could develop into an absolute nightmare very, very quickly. And this is his first camp at ATT. And I mean he certainly looks in, in absolutely outstanding shape. I mean we know that fighters never performed to their full potential in the uh, in their UFC debut because obviously completing under the bright lights of the octagon for the first time is not going to be easy and never going to be able to show your best. So the fact that you know Tazrukian looked so good in his debut against a very tough opponent in Makachev is is a sign that he's going to look you know even 100% better again against Oban Mercier which is an exciting prospect but before we go into talking about you know how how Tazrukian matches up with Olivier Oban Mercier and, and how this fight could play out from a betting perspective thought it would be a good idea just to kind of you know watch one of Tazrukian's recent fights together you know like I say we've got a bit more time in these videos where now, people that watch parts two, three, and four are going to be more open to learning, more open to um, just open to the possibility that anything can happen in MMA. So let's use these videos as an opportunity to go deep into these fights because I know that's what a lot of you guys want. I know you enjoy it. So fuck it. Let's go deep. There are some people that don't like it. There are some people that do. So let's go deep on this one. So uh, Tazrukian's fight from almost exactly a year ago against Felipe Olivieri is available to watch online so i thought it would be pretty cool um just to basically watch it and go through it together and uh, and kind of see if we can spot you know any weaknesses in tazrucky and what his strengths are so we've all got a pretty good idea of what to expect from him on uh, on saturday night against olivier Olivier Aubameyang. so he is the guy in the black shirts 
And, uh, and you know, straight away, you can just by the way he moves, just by the way he's come out, you can see that he is a very technical striker. Just by the way he's light on his feet, he's, you know, the way he's moving in and out of his opponent's range, you know, trying to find his range, um, you know, good distance management. He's throwing very, very technical kicks out there straight away. You know, already in the first 30 seconds, we've seen him, you know, throw leg kicks, body kicks and head kicks with basically no setup. And there we see another... Very well, the first very, very, very nice three strike combo there. So, obviously, Taz Rookie and very early into a fight doesn't take him long to find his range. There's no feeling out process here. Very early in the fight, he's already throwing a very wide range of strikes, uh, complex combinations, and uh. And after, well, after just 50 seconds into the fight, he's already trying to take this fight to the ground because he is a, uh, he is a very good, uh, he is a very good striker, but he is an even better grappler. And we'll see that here. He, uh, he opens the fight up with some, you know, very, very nice kicks and good combinations to get his opponent thinking about his strikes. And then while he's got Olivieri thinking about his strikes, he changes levels and ducks under for a takedown. Very, very nice setup. And a sign that he is, is, is old beyond his years. That's an experienced attitude to fight in. Very, very crafty, very, very intelligent. Another kind of thing we usually see from a 22-year-old. You know, he goes straight to the full body lock here, and he's able to use this to uh, to complete a takedown very nice in the top position. So everything we're seeing from, from Taz Rookie so far is great. And there's another minor little detail, which is great. You know, so far we've seen good combinations, technical kicks, um, a very, very well set up takedown entry once he's got his opponents thinking about defending the strikes. And then as soon as he gets his body lock takedown, he immediately looks to advance into half guard, which again, we've already seen him show us some, some great fight IQ, some really intelligent, intelligent tactics already in just one minute. And as soon as he hits the ground, he's already trying to advance and pass his opponent's guard, which it's just great to see for, for such a young fighter. And he's quite busy from top position as well, you know, chips away at his opponent with uh, with some ground and pound. Also quite heavy from top position, you can see that uh, his opponent doesn't really get close to working his way back to his feet. Tazrukin's able to maintain top position, and even when... You know, even when Olivieri does stand, start to work his way back to his feet here, Tazrukin does a great job of maintaining control of the body, Khabib Nurmagomedov style. So he's got his hands connected around uh, Olivieri's body here, and he's not going to let go of him. And and this just means that if Olivieri does pop up, pop back up to his feet, you know. He's basically right back in the same position he was just before Tazrukian completed the body lock takedown, where Tazrukian still got control of his body and he can he can just drag him straight back to the ground basically, and that's exactly what we see here. Maintains control of the body and drags him back down, and that's beautiful because Felipe Olivieri has exerted all that energy to work his way back to his feet, but Tazrukian's kept hold of that body lock, and as soon as Olivieri's burnt all that energy getting back to his feet. He immediately uses the body lock to drag him, back, drag him back down, which is brilliant. And again, very heavy from top position, chips away with ground and pound. Uh, and uh, and Olivieri now doesn't have the energy to try and explode back to his feet again, or basically because Tazrukian has already made him exert so much energy on the first attempt at getting back to his feet and being dragged back down. So 
doesn't have as much energy to explode back to his feet like he did just a couple minutes ago. Uh, and for that reason, spends pretty much the rest of the round on the bottom here uh, with Taz Rookie putting a, a dominant round in the books. So now we go into the second round of this fight. And again, let's see if Taz Rookin uses the same strategy. Doesn't waste any time this time. No setting his takedown up with strikes this time. Changes levels. Ducks under straight away on a double leg takedown. And Olivieri gets taken down easily. Olivieri put up a lot more resistance than this in the first round. But after covering, you know, carrying Taz Rookin's body weight for a good five minutes, obviously he doesn't have the energy to stuff the takedowns in the same way as he did in the first round. And also notice a little detail here. Notice how difficult it was for Taz Rookin to pass Olivieri's guard in the first round and advance into half guard. Well, look at how easily Taz Rookin's been able to take half guard here now that he's worn Olivieri down in the first round. And this is just where the tide starts to swing in favour of Taz Rookin. He stays very heavy from top position, chipping away with ground and pound. He's now again advanced position into side control and Olivieri just nowhere near as effective now at, at defending himself now that he's had his energy drained and really Tazrukian can do whatever he wants from top position here um, they are back up though Olivieri uses a leg lock to create a scramble and they're back up but now we get to see a little bit more of Tazrukian striking which is uh, which is very very nice so again you know, decent combinations. Obviously, uh, not as crisp, not as technical as in round one because Taz Rookian's a little bit tired here too. Uh, but definitely, uh, definitely, definitely not moving as light on his feet as, as he was. But remember, you know, he, he's a young guy. You know, he's going to still be learning how to pace himself. You know, probably didn't need to, to work so hard with a ground and pound or exerting as much energy as he did, you know, trying to advance position when he probably could have just stayed in top position, conserved energy a little bit better, I guess is what I'm trying to say in that first round. So Taz Rookie a little bit more flat-footed in this second round, but still looks uh, look very good. Still heavy from top position, still active from top position. And uh, Olivieri again here, does he work his way back to his feet? How does it play out? See what happens. Is it the referee that stands up? No, Tazrukin actually gives Olivieri space to stand back up. But again, very, very nice from Tazrukin. Tries to maintain the body lock there as Olivieri pops up. Doesn't get it though. Olivieri is able to break the grip. And now again, Tazrukin going right back to his strength. Knows he's got an advantage on the ground. So changes levels. Gets another takedown. Doesn't want to fuck around uh, in striking range when he knows he clearly has a big advantage on the ground. And again, straight into half guard. Chipping away at uh, chipping away at Olivieri from top position. And now if we go into the third round, we get the highlight reel finish from Taz Rookin, showing that even when he becomes a little bit more flat-footed, a little bit more tired, he is uh, still very dangerous and throws a very, 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 very fast head kick there with absolutely no setup, no wind-up, just throws it up there out of nowhere with, with absolutely no clues. It's got, it is maybe a little clue, maybe a little clue, actually. Notice what he does here. So Taz Rookin's here in orthodox stance. Notice how he switches to southpaw there, and he's thinking about throwing the head kick here. That's a little tell, but goes back to orthodox, and then in a moment, he's like, yeah, I am actually going to throw this head kick. Watch, he just moves the southpaw to throw the head kick. Watch this. Subtle little movement to southpaw. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Didn't, didn't, didn't. That's not the That's not the one I was looking for. That's not the one. Is it here? Now he's back to southpaw. He's going to go to southpaw any second now and throw this head kick up there. 
He's in orthodox, trying to set Olivieri up for it. Actually ended up shooting a takedown right through the cage. Well, that's the problem with you fighting in a cage. That's the problem with fighting with, uh, with ropes in a ring, obviously. Just dump tackled him right through the ropes. And imagine how dangerous that is, man. If he would have just like flown six, seven feet out into the, the, to, to the middle of the crowd or something. But anyway, you can see that uh, you can see that Olivieri's trying to set him up for the head kick from the southpaw stance. There's been a few tells in there. Uh, and there it is. There it is. Didn't quite come from southpaw. I think it came from orthodox. I think it actually came from orthodox. It all happened so fast it's hard to see. But he was trying to set him up for the head kick. What do we get? Oops, 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 oops. Oh, it's all messed up. Sorry, guys. Ah, oh, slow mo's even better. Slow mo will be even better. To see what we get here. Sorry, my uh, my YouTube's gone all kinds of crazy. YouTube's gone all kinds of crazy. So he threw the right hook. Okay, so he didn't set him up from Southpaw. When he was, you know, doing the subtle stand switches, I thought he was setting him up for a head kick from Southpaw. He didn't. Came from Orthodox. Uh, watch it one more time. Right hook. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful head kick to absolutely murder Olivieri. So I just wanted to show you that clip just because even though he's looking a little bit more flat-footed in round two, um, shows even in the third round he can catch a second wind and still remain technical and dangerous after a grueling fight because even though Tazrukian was in total control still exerted a lot of energy to maintain top position he's very active from top position so Tazrukian great fighter just wanted to go through that fight just to highlight some of the things that he does great but obviously like we often see with amazing fighters like we see with Viviana Raujo we spoke about in part one when you're great at everything, that does come at a cost. And we can see the average odds on Taz Rookin at the moment are around about 1.50, which is minus 200 for an implied probability of 67%. So to give, to gain any value on Taz Rookin here, you've got to give him around a 73% or better chance of winning, which is difficult. It really is difficult because there are, there are a lot of things to take into account here. So... He's very good, but Olivier Orban Mercier, when he shows up and performs with his full potential, it's going to be a difficult matchup for anyone. He's reasonably good everywhere, and remember that Taz Rukin is still only 22 years old. He's still a young guy. He's developing, and Olivier Orban Mercier is a very, very strong grappler. Um, with a guy like Taz Rukin, you know, you see him at times looking very calculated and tactical and experienced in that fight we just watched. But on other times, you see him throwing high-risk, low-reward, spinning attacks, spinning back fists, spinning kicks, which opens his back up to, to Olivier, Olivier Aubin-Mercier, who has excellent back control, you know, good body lock takedowns. And we saw in Taz Rukin's UFC debut against Makachev that, you know, he does take a lot of gambles and he can end up being put in bad positions. You know, Makachev was able to control him for large periods in his debut. Now, what I do like about Taz Rukin is that he's incredibly good at creating scrambles and making his opponent work very hard to maintain top position. But Aubin Mercier's grappling definitely needs respect. needs to be respected. And remember, 
that this fight is taking place in Canada. It's taking place in Edmonton. And Olivier Aubin Mercier is a popular Canadian fighter. We know that home advantage is huge in Canada. You know, Canadian fighters win around 65% of the time when they fight non-Canadians on Canadian events in the UFC. So even if this is a close competitive fight and Tazrukian just edges it, might not be enough. Tazrukian needs to win this fight beyond all reasonable doubt. He needs to put his stamp on two out of the three three rounds in order to feel uh, confident that he can win. He can't afford to get involved in one of these you know, back and forth fights where both guys have their moments and he just edges it. Might not be enough in Canada. So we've got to bake that into our thought process when trying to cap this fight as well. So... This is a difficult fight to cap because actually from a technical point of view, when you look at what both guys bring to the table, neither guy has a huge advantage everywhere. You know, there's no doubt that standing up, Tazrukian has much crisper, snappier, more technical striking. But at the same time, there are also moments where he looks, you know, in insecure and inexperienced when he's throwing these reckless spinning attacks. And in those openings, you know, Aubin Mercier can capitalize on on that and punish him for it because Aubin Mercier's got good distance control he's very experienced uh he he's also very tough Taz Rukian's obviously got a technical advantage standing but if the fight stayed standing I do honestly think it would be pretty close because in some of the other fights I've watched with Taz Rukian, he's quite passive and tentative his output's not that high he doesn't throw or land that many strikes per round and when it comes to grappling, it's a much more difficult fight to cap because at one stage in Olivier Aubin Mercier's career, if we go further back in his career, kind of to this green period here, or really this green period, um, you know, obviously no shame in losing to Diego Ferreira, but you see, you know, where he was on, where he won, you know, seven out of eight fights. One of the reasons why he was able to put a great run together during that time is because he's a very, very strong grappler, strong offensive wrestling, very, very good back control, very nasty rear naked chokes. Olivier Aubin Mercier is a very, very high level grappler or was a very high level grappler because over the last few fights, we haven't really seen that. Struggled bad against Gilbert Melendez in his last fight. There's no shame in that. Burns is a very, very high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. But Alexander Hernandez isn't a particularly strong grappler, not a particularly strong wrestler. And Olivier Aubin Mercier looked very poor in this fight. I'm not sure if he was injured. You know, I'm not sure what the problem was, but he kept giving up position, slowed down quite a lot. Just looked very, very sloppy in the grappling exchanges. And that's what makes this a difficult fight to cap, because if... Olivier Aubin Mercier shows up looking like he did in this time period here. I think he actually does very well. Because we saw in Taz Rukian's UFC debut against Makachev, you know, his takedown defense isn't bulletproof. He can be controlled and put into bad positions. And Olivier Aubin Mercier, when he's at his best, his grappling control is excellent. But my concern is he looked very, very poor against Alexander Hernandez like I said, gave up position a lot, looked very, very sloppy on the ground and didn't look great against Gilbert Burns either. So this does feel like one of those fights where we've got two guys on opposite career trajectories. We have got, you know, Taz Rukian, who is already amazing at everything. He's now moved to ATT. He's going to be making big improvements from fight to fight. He's excellent. You know, he's got all the momentum behind him. 
probably brimming with confidence, learning new things every day. And it's likely he's going to look much better in his second fight in the UFC than he did in his debut. Because we never see fighters at their best in their debut. And Olivier Aubameyang is a guy who does appear to be on a bit of a decline. I mean, I don't know why. He is only 32 years old. He, he should still be in his athletic prime. But if he shows up and performs like he did against Hernandez, I think he will struggle bad here. So when we look at the odds on this fight, you know, there's no way you can bet Taz Rookie at these odds. Olivier Aubameyang, if he shows up and performs with his full potential, you know, maybe he was carrying a bad injury for that Hernandez fight. If he shows up and fights to his the best of his ability, he will he will make this a close fight. There's no doubt about it. But if we look at the odds on uh, on Olivier Aubameyang at the moment, currently around about an average of 2.70, and I often feel the odds of 2.70, which is plus 170, are kind of like trappy odds. And I think they're trappy odds because when you see odds of 2.70, the odds feel quite big. They feel quite generous. You know, you automatically may assume that there's a there's there's probably a decent amount of value there or, or a decent profit margin if you assume that a fight is going to be close or if you think a fight's going to be close. But in actual fact, when we put it into the implied probability calculator, we can see the odds are 2.70 or plus 170 give us an implied probability of 37%. So it's close to a 40% implied probability. It's kind of like the, the bookies are trying to trick us uh, and fool our judgment with, with the numbers here. So... I do actually think it's fair to cap this fight 60-40 in favour of Taz Rukian just because he is amazing at everything. He is getting better from fight to fight. And there are some signs that Oban Mercier is on quite a steep decline. You know, if he shows up and performs like he did against Alexander Hernandez, I think he gets murdered. So I think it's fair to cap this fight at 60-40. So while I do think Olivier Oban Mercier is a live dog, and when you see juicy underdog odds of 2.70, that can be very tempting. When you actually look at the implied probability, there's not that much value here. Because really, to get any decent amount of value betting Olivier Aubameyang this weekend, you've got to cap him at like 45%. And I really don't think that this is a 50-50 fight. Or even a 45-55 fight, sorry. Simply because... Tazrukian's brilliant. I expect him to look a lot better in his second fight. He's now training at ATT. And there were some huge red flags in this fight against Alexander Hernandez and also against Gilbert Burns. So at the moment, it's a pass for me. Um, I do think the odds are roughly accurate. You know, this is probably not going to be a fight that I'm going to bet, no matter what the odds turn into. Yeah, see, I wouldn't even bet Tazrik in at 1.70, because that would be an implied probability of 59%. I do cap him at about 60 um, and his odds aren't going to get to 1.80 and even if they did there's not that good of a margin so yeah I would recommend passing on that fight guys I know it was a long winded way for me to get to it but hope you appreciated it I mean hopefully you can use that information uh, you know to, to, to make your DraftKings decisions or you know to live bet the fight or, or, or come up with some props um, but you know I like to go deep every once in a while and I know a lot of people watching this appreciate the deep breakdowns as well um, and what I would also say is one of the reasons why Olivier Aubameyang looked so bad against Alexander Hernandez was because he slowed down quite a lot as the fight progressed and Tazrukian creates so many scrambles in grappling exchanges that that will constantly force Olivier Aubameyang to work for positions on the ground which will accelerate the rate at which he slows down so 
Yeah, man. I mean, it's a complicated fight. Really depends what version of uh, what version of Olivier Aubin Mercier we get. But probably not smart to bet against uh, a popular Canadian fighter in Canada. Um, you know, on a big big favorite. You know, if if the odds were the other way around, it'd be a different story, obviously. So now let's talk about the next fight, which is going to be Eric Koch against Carl Stewart. Now, Eric Koch was one of the first names that jumped out at me. Uh, his record over the last few years is a total mess. You see loads of cancelled fights, lots of losses. And Eric Koch is one of those guys whose career was really derailed in a bad way by uh, a few very, very vicious knockout losses. Um, and also... His, his career was also derailed by some really bad injuries. We can see here, if we look at all the cancelled fights, um, if we have a look, uh, let's see. So, Coke injured. Oh, Alger was injured there. Coke injured. About rescheduled. Uh, Coke injured. Coke injured. Coke injured. Coke injured. Coke injured. So, you can see he's had a hell of a lot of injuries which have derailed his career. And at one point in time, Eric Koch was one of the best featherweights in the world. You know, he's fought Jose Aldo in uh, in WEC. I believe it was for the WEC title. Was it not? Where did he fight Aldo? Oh, he was scheduled to fight Aldo. He never actually fought him. I'm sure he fought for the WEC title. Or am I going crazy? Did he? Guess he didn't. Guess he was scheduled to fight Aldo for the WEC title. Never actually got his title shot because of uh, fight cancellations and stuff. But yeah, Eric Koch at one point in time was one of the best featherweights in the world. Um, he was kind of like an Anthony Pettis. Uh, very similar to an Anthony Pettis, you know. But a little, little bit more of a traditional kickboxing style, you know. Anthony Pettis back in the day had that really heavy taekwondo stance. Eric Koch was a bit more of a traditional kickboxing style, you know, light on his feet, very technical. Uh, but he had heavier hands than, than Pettis for sure. Wasn't quite as fast though. Uh, but a better boxer, throws a wide range of strikes. Not the best takedown defense, but not terrible either. And also a very, very uh, technical technical grappler. Very, very nice Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Very, very crafty on the ground like a lot of Rufus Sport guys are. But unfortunately, Eric Koch is not the same guy anymore. Um, in his last couple fights against Bobby Green and Clay Guida, he's looked flat-footed, slow and sluggish. And Eric Koch built a career off being fast, technical, sharp and explosive. So the fact that he now looks flat and slow means he's just nowhere near as effective as he used to be. And what's actually concerning in this fight is that he looked flat and slow in his last two fights against Bobby Green and Clay Guida. And the fights were contested at lightweight. And he's actually moving up to welterweight for this fight against Carl Stewart, which is very strange because Coke isn't isn't that big. You know, he's only five foot ten with a seventy-one-inch reach. You know, that wingspan is is okay for for lightweight. You know, guys should even be able to make featherweight with that wingspan. You won't see many guys at welterweight with this wingspan. Coke is going to be very undersized for a welterweight, so I don't know why he's moved up. Now, quite often when a fighter moves up a weight class and they don't have to go through a brutal weight cut, they end up looking much better. But not always. You know, recently we saw Luke Rockhold move up to light heavyweight and look very flat, very slow, very sluggish against Jan Blakovic. And I am worried that we're going to see the same thing with Coke. I think that it's a great idea 
for fighters to move up a weight class when they're absolutely huge and it's clear they're way too big to, to make the weight of the weight class they're fighting in. You know, James Vick just announced yesterday that he's finally moving up to welterweight. You know, that should have happened a long time ago. He's way too big for the lightweight division. And James Vick is a good example of one of those guys who I think is going to go up to welterweight and look a lot better than he did at lightweight. But I don't feel the same about Eric Koch because, you know, if you're looking slow and sluggish and flat at lightweight... You know, moving up to welterweight isn't going to help you when you carry all that extra muscle mass and you're bigger. It's going to make you even slower, even flatter than you were at lightweight. So, you know, Eric Koch is at his best when he's light on his feet and he's technical and he's explosive and he's fast. Without that, he's really very, very average. And that's what makes this a tricky fight for uh, for capping and betting because Cal Stewart's not very good. He really isn't. But he's a big boy, you know, six foot tall with a 76 inch reach. He's going to have a decent size advantage over Coke. And while from a technical point of view, Coke does have a, a, an advantage standing, how will he look at welterweight? Will that advantage standing be that big at welterweight if he's a lot slower than he was at lightweight? And also another thing, even though Stewart is a low level striker, he does hit very hard. He, he is a heavy hitter. And Eric Coke. Is a little bit chinny, tends to get rock dropped or wobbled quite easily. But even though Coke does have a technical advantage standing, I don't expect this fight to take place in striking range simply because Cal Stewart is one of these guys that likes to be all the way in or all the way out of his opponent's range. He likes to be all the way in working for a takedown or not in a range where he can be hit. And I do think this fight will be a predominantly grappling based fight simply because. Like a lot of Rufus Sport guys, Eric Koch isn't particularly good at keeping his back off the cage. And Carl Stewart is a big, powerful, strong guy. You know, if, if Stewart wants to, to drive Koch into the cage and force him to, to defend takedowns and, and get into grappling exchanges, I don't think there's a lot Koch can do to stop him. Now, Koch's initial takedown defense is pretty good. I do think Stewart will find it difficult to take him down. But like a lot of Rufus Sport guys, when Coke's on his back, he's very, very weak off his back, and it's quite bizarre actually. Both these guys are, um, both these guys are quite similar in that their grappling offense is very good. You know, when they're in top position, they're both very good, but when they're on the bottom, they're very, very weak, which makes this a really complicated fight because if Coke's on top of Stewart. I expect him to dominate. But if Stewart's on top of Coke, I expect him to dominate. It's, it's just a strange thing where both guys are quite good at being the hammer on the ground, but not so good at being the nail. And another thing that I really don't like about Coke is that he doesn't really show that much urgency to get back to his feet when you do take him down. So if you do take him down and get into top position, you can have a lot of top control. Now, Stewart's offensive wrestling isn't great, but again, he's a big guy. He's a strong guy. Coke undersized for the division might look a lot flatter at uh, at welterweight. You know, will his takedown defense be as good at welterweight? Of course, everything I'm saying could be completely redundant. Eric Coke could look a hell of a lot better at welterweight and absolutely smoke Stewart and be back to his best. Look like a new fighter, a completely uh, future world champion and, and prove me wrong. But it's a complicated fight. I guess the point I'm trying to make is... There are no safe bets here, no strong positions. And at the moment, both guys, if we look at the odds, both guys are currently around about dead even. 
Um, you know, both guys are around about an average of 1.91, which is minus 110 for an implied probability of 52%. You know, I kind of agree with that. This fight is, is you know, I do definitely lean Coke. I do. I really do lean Coke. Um, but definitely cannot feel confident in him. You know, if you got Coke a few days ago... Wait a minute. Let me just scroll up so you can see it. If you got Coke, you know, a few days ago, a lot of money's coming on him. His odds have been gradually improving over the last week. Now, if you got Coke, you know, last week at 2.20, you know, that's decent. That is decent. Um, but I would definitely want, you know, 2.30, 2.40 to take a gamble on Coke at this stage in his career. Just like I say, he's chinny, he's weak off his back. Who knows how he'll look at welterweight. And also, we've got to take into account the fact that well, actually, we don't. Oh, for some reason, I thought Carl Stewart was Canadian. Why did I think that? He's not Canadian. So that isn't uh, isn't going to be a factor. Home advantage doesn't mean anything. But yeah, either way, I would want decent odds on Coke. And I don't think we're going to get there. His odds aren't going to improve to that point. So it is an easy pass for me. And now we go into the final fight that I want to talk about in today's video. Which is Felicia Spencer against Chris Cyborg. Now, you guys know me. I am not opposed to betting on big underdogs. I've recommended a bet on Frankie Edgar in part one of this video. And we've had loads of big underdog bets this year. We've hit quite a few of them as well. We had Vivian Araujo as a big underdog and Shek Congo as a big underdog. Two of the biggest that I can remember this year when Shek Congo for uh, Vitaly Minikov and Vivian Araujo for Talita Bernardo. So I'm definitely not opposed to betting on big underdogs. But there is an expression in poker and the expression is you've got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And... If Felicia Spencer was a hand in poker, you would definitely want to fold that hand. You would not want to play that hand. Now, very rarely do I give a fighter virtually no chance of winning a fight. It's only happened once this year. The only time this year out of all the fights we've seen, probably seen 150, 200, 300 UFC fights so far uh, up until this point in the year. And the only, only fight where I felt a fight that had basically no chance of winning was, actually there's a couple, Jessica I against Shevchenko, didn't feel like Jessica I had any chance, and the other one was Edmund Shabazian against Jack Marshman, didn't think Marshman had any chance. Very rare I feel that strongly, but I do feel super strongly that Felicia Spencer just has virtually no chance of winning this fight. Just virtually no chance. I mean, if we look at the current average odds, current average odds available on Cyborg at the moment is 1.15 for an implied probability of minus 667. Uh, sorry, money line odds minus 667 for an implied probability of 87%. And yeah, man, I actually think there's value there. I do. It's a crazy thing for me to say. You know, usually when we flash up odds like this, I'll say, you know, MMA is an unpredictable sport. Cyborg might get disqualified. She might be fighting injured. She might blow her knee out in the first round. She might break her hand. All these things that contribute to it being tough to cap a fighter in this range in MMA because of how unpredictable MMA is. But I actually think there's value on Cyborg here. You know, I do think it's fair to cap her at 90 to 95%. I really do. I, I do only give Spencer maybe a 5% chance of winning this fight. Um, she just has no path to victory really um you know honestly now 
something insane would have to happen for Cyborg to lose this fight. Like, she'd have to get struck by lightning or, like, you know, a piece of the fucking stadium roof would have to fall and, like, land on her. You know, a piano would have to drop on her head, Tom and Jerry style. Like, I really feel like if if Felicia Spencer and Cyborg had a fight and they let Spencer tie Cyborg to a tree in the middle of the, in the middle of the Nevada desert and they literally gave Felicia Spencer access to all the nuclear weapons that the United States has and Spencer dropped every single nuclear warhead on Cyborg's face i still feel like Cyborg would stand up brush herself off hunt Felicia down and knock her the fuck out. Like, I literally just don't see how Spencer wins this. You know, to quote Brendan Shaw in one of his podcasts before, you know, if you literally gave Felicia Spencer body armour, a gun, and a crew of attack dogs, I still don't think she'd beat Cyborg. I just don't see it. She has no path to victory. Um, You know... Don't take my word for it. If you want to see why I think Cyborg murders, uh, absolutely murders Spencer, go and watch Spencer's recent fight against Pam Sorensen from about eight months ago. And that will just show you everything you need to see, uh, which will basically show you that she's probably going to get murdered in this fight. I mean, if it stays standing, she has very poor striking defense. No striking offense at all. There's nothing she can do to Cyborg to hurt her standing. She's at constant risk of being knocked out when this fight is is standing. And her entries into takedowns are very sloppy. Not a particularly strong offensive wrestler. Uh, And on the ground, when she does get her opponents down, she gives up position a lot. Makes a lot of technical mistakes on the ground. I, I really feel like if this fight stays standing, Cyborg will KO her dead. She will murder her. It will be violent and ugly. It will be a one-sided, murderous, bloody, horrible situation. It will just be utter, sheer, relentless dominance from Cyborg if the fight stays standing. And on the ground, I think Cyborg will just absolutely maul Spencer. I think she will woman-handle her. I just don't think Spencer has the athleticism, the technical ability... I just don't think she has anything for Cyborg anywhere. Standing up, she gets murdered. In the clinch, she gets mauled. And on the ground, she gets thrown around like a child. I think that Cyborg just completely woman handles her here. Now, obviously, I'm not going to recommend a bet on Cyborg at these odds. But she should be in every single DraftKings team. She should be in every single parlay or accumulate a bet this weekend. And I am... You know, at the beginning of this video, the reason why I talked so much about wanting to find an insurance bet or a cover bet for uh, for a high-risk bet on Edgar this weekend is because Cyborg's basically free money, and I don't like to miss up free money opportunities. So I am hunting hard at the moment for someone to put into a parlay or an accumulator with Cyborg just because if you bet Cyborg... Look, at five dimes, you can get a 17% return on your on your money. Like, you know, people invest in the S&P 500, and they're delighted if they get a 7 or 8% return in a 12-month period. In one night, you can get 17% return on your money. That's a bloody good return, but I don't want to bet her straight. I want to put her into a parlay or an accumulator with someone. And so far, I haven't found anyone appropriate to do that with. 
Um, but yeah, guys, honestly, like, you know, a lot of guys have stopped by my chat room this week and, you know, said, you know, the odds are, you know, what do you think about a bet on Spencer? Are the odds off? You know, she's a huge underdog. Anything can happen in MMA. And, you know, I, I am down for that, man. Like, anything can happen in MMA. But at the same time, you've got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And, yes, if you throw enough shit at a wall, some of it will stick. But fucking Spencer is not the kind of fighter you want to pull the trigger on. Like, just trust me, guys. Please, don't go and leave a comment and say, oh, you know, but if you said there's value on Edgar, there's value on Spencer too. Please don't try and justify a bet on Spencer without watching the Sorensen fight. If you're going to leave a comment disagreeing with what I've said, please, before you do so, watch the Sorensen fight. And then just watch any of Cyborg's fights. And there's just there's only one way this fight goes, man, and it is pure murder. Again, just the physicality of Cyborg is just going to make this very, very difficult for Spencer. So, I hope you bloody enjoyed today's video, guys. It was a long one. I know I... Um, I know I probably uh, waffled a little bit and uh, and talked a load of shit uh, and this video was a little bit longer than it needed to be but just thought it was a good idea just to bounce some ideas around, get some thoughts out there, um, you know, just discuss some ideas. Let me know what you thought about the stuff I said in the comments below about, you know, compound interest, you know, betting strategies for each event, trying to give yourself the best chance of at least breaking even so that you can continue that compounded interest growing. You know, do you use the, the strategy, the tactic of having insurance bets and cover bets as well? Something I love to do is something that helps me a lot to grow my money. Um, and I'm just really hoping that I can find another bet on this card to act as an insurance bet uh, with, um, you know, with uh, with Frankie Edgar. And his odds are start, well, his odds have declined a little bit since we put the bet out. Um, yeah, Cyborg's free money. Thanks for watching though, um, please hit the like button, it helps the channel grow, it would mean a lot. Please also subscribe if you haven't already and please, please, please let me, uh, let me know what you think of the video in the comments. I read every single one of your comments and I'll also do my best to get back to you. So take care guys, have a great fucking day, punch Thursday right in the dick and I will be back tomorrow uh, breaking down another three fights, no doubt I will put all four parts out this week i promise i promise i promise take care guys love you all i'll see you soon too many thoughts on my mind i can't sleep at night so i just keep writing i don't need no help i don't need opinion so don't waste my time then i just been living online my city don't show me no loving that's fine fuck local radio stations i got more plays than all of these rappers combined i'm going i'm going again i've been going in i'm fed up with so many things i gotta just let it all out i'm talking about the shit they've been talking about